Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 13, titled, A Promised Future. Amen. Good morning. Got a Bible with you or a Bible app. We're going to be in the book of Luke. Chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter 13. Chapter 11 was several months ago. Chapter 13, we're going to be in the last five verses, verses 31 through uh, 35. We're going to be getting to that in just a minute. There was a guy who was um, an executive. He was riding between two appointments, and uh, running late, traffic was bad. He was having to go to this high-rise and uh, was late, very late for a meeting, and he... um, Pulled in the parking lot, it was limited parking spaces, and of course, without saying, it goes without saying, every single parking space was full, and there was a person in front of him, you know, so anybody that pulled out, they were going to get in, and so he, man, he needed to make this meeting, it was so incredibly important, began to pray, that's not a bad idea, why don't you pray, why don't we pray about everything, began to pray, began to make promises to God, God, if you'll just, you know, open a parking place, I promise this, I promise that, I'll be faithful, I'll be, I know I haven't been everything I'm supposed to be, I'll be in church, I'll be this. I'll be that, promise, 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 boom, parking place opens, you know, miraculously. He says, oh, God, never mind, I I found a place, he said. (laughs) Yeah. Promises, right? Promises, promises, promises matter. Promises count. Uh, Promises are important. Uh, If you're a promise keeper uh, to your spouse, uh, to your job, to your people, if you've stuck with the ship, even though it might have been going down, if you've stuck with the promises and the causes and the people uh, that you made promises to do, let me just say this to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, our culture is, is dissolving because we cannot keep our promises. Uh, in fact, we don't even make them anymore because we, we don't have no plans, it seems, to keep them. An interesting statement. I read uh, this article I was reading about making promises. I like the way he, he, he phrased it. He says, what a, quote, what a marvelous thing a promise is. When a person makes a promise, she or he reaches out into an unpredictable future and makes one thing predictable. I cannot change the future. I cannot change anything that anybody else is to do, but as much as within my power, this is who I'm going to be. That's what a promise is. Incredibly important. How, how, how amazing uh, promises are. He go, went on to say, when a person makes a promise, he stretches himself out into the circumstances that cannot be in control, and he contrives to control, at least within his power, one thing. He went on to say this, and this is the, I love this the most. He says, when you make a promise, you take a hand in creating your own future. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to relate to you or to these circumstances or to this group or to this cause or whatever it may be. It's, it's, it's shaping, it's creating your own future, and promises do that. They create the future for us but as much as within our power, right? I promise to stay with my wife forever and ever and ever and ever, maybe, like, maybe on the bridge this afternoon as we cross. You know, it, it may end. I, I don't have, within, within my power... I have very little, but as much as it's within the capacity to make those decisions, I'm going to control those things. That's what a promise is. God also makes promises. In fact, when we make promises, we said to the kids, when you make promises and keep promises, you are like God. That is exactly who God is, within his power, right? What is within his power? Everything. Nothing's outside of his power. 
So when God promises something, that's, that's it. It's the same as history. We get, history's fixed, you can't do anything about it, right? Listen, you might not realize this, the same is true with the future. God has already written the future with his promises. The, the, the question is, is where do you fall? On which side do you, of these promises do you fall? Because there's promises on, on both sides. We, we like to think of God's promises as only being the positive, but they're not necessarily. Some are in half of them, in fact, are in the negative. Uh, uh, all humanity, whether they're lovers or haters of God, already have their future written out for them in the promises of God. Heaven's going to be a place of promise, right? Fulfill promises. Hell, also, equally so, a place where God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Did you ever think about that? Look, look, at, look at what the scriptures say here, Revelation 21. It's just a, a, a snapshot of the promises of God, but it gives us both sides of the promises. Watch. The one who overcomes will inherit these things. It's a promise. It's absolute because God controls everything. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Notice, no women in heaven, right? Is that what that says? No, that's not what it says. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about a status, a status of a son. You know, female, female is, out, is not even in question at this point. That's the promise. First of all, that's the side of the promise you want to be on. You want to be on that side. You want to be those who obey God and what God says and what God says concerning his son, Jesus. But there's another side of the promise. But for the cowardly, that's the ones who don't do what God says. The unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and I wish he'd left that one out, right? All liars. I like to think of myself as none of the previous things, but I, you know, a liar too, maybe 10 or 12 or 50, or I don't know. Liars? Yeah, that's why you need to make sure, make sure you're coming to God through Jesus, someone who, who can, only person who can forgive and remit your sins. And you've got them. This, for those who don't do that, and indeed are liars and everything else, their part will be in the lake of burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It is a promise that God's going to keep. The future's already been written. It's as certain as the past. Now, you can't tell me what you're going to do tomorrow. You can't tell me what you're going to do this afternoon. You can tell me probabilities. But you can't guarantee anything. Why? Because you're not in control. You can't change yesterday. You can't tell me what you're going to do tomorrow because even though we would like to think we're intelligent and superhuman and all this kind of stuff, we're not. You know better than your dog. Hope you have a sweet dog. But your dog can't do any better than that. Hmm. Makes you think, doesn't it? God, on the other hand, literally writes the future when he makes promises because it's exactly what he's going to do. The promises of fix the future in both directions. We need to make sure that we're on the right side of them. As an example, we have the story of Israel. Israel is paid, should have paid well attention to the promises of God. Because, yeah, there's two sides to them. There's there's an alternate that's great, and there's an alternate that is, not, that is not very good at all. And through their disobedience, they wound up on the dark side of God's promises, which brings us to where we are in our study here in the book of Luke. Jesus is reiter going to reiterate for us the promises that God has made to Israel, and uh, we're going to see that. So on the occasion of him dealing with these Pharisees, who never told the truth to him because they're just trying to corner him, he says, so there's a, at that time some Pharisees came up to him saying, Go away, depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And that may have been true. It may not have been true. They're just trying to get a rise out of him. They're just trying to push him. They're not interested in his welfare at all. Don't mistake that. Herod, Herod was a, a pretty much a worthless individual, so it wouldn't surprise me that he was up to that. But it nowhere says that anywhere else that he was up to that. 
And then notice what he calls him. He says, then he said to him, go and tell that fox, because he was foxy. Don't you know? That's not what that says. That's not what it says. It was a derogatory term for those of you who grew up in the 70s, okay? Behold, I cast out demons, Jesus' response, and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the next day, and it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words, he says, don't worry about me. I'm good, because it says I'm going to perish in Jerusalem, and so that's where it's going to happen. And then he laments over Jerusalem, and here's where the promises come. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Here's the promise. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Wow. I'm out, he says. Not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense and in every other sense, and we're going to see that in just a bit. But he continues to make promises. I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed. There's coming a time in which Israel's going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it's not here yet. Because up until the time that Jesus does this, they had turned their back on him. And the promise was, the promise was that their house is going to be left to them desolate. Literally, the word desolate has been added there because that's the force of the Greek. But, but, but truly, all he says is, it's yours. Your house has been left to you. I'm out. Now, let me, let me just say this. Uh, two categories of things that can happen to you with regards to being forsaken. You can forsake God. I don't recommend that at all. You will suffer greatly for that. And there's many of us who have done that. You can turn your back on God and, and try to get away from God and run the opposite direction. And, you know, there's consequences for that. And those of us who've done it know that. Uh, but it's one thing to forsake God, and it is altogether another thing for God to forsake you. That is where Israel is. So they've forsaken God, I mean, a lot. Constantly. Always. They're about to kill the Son of God. We're only three months before his, his crucifixion. So that's definitely forsaking God, but it's a different thing altogether for God to forsake you. That is where Israel is. You can hear the finality in the language of Jesus. I'm out. Your house is left to you. You, you want to run it yourself? Then, unfortunately, I'll let you do that. And boy, does it go bad for them. And this promise began to take visual effect not 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. They revolted against the strongest country that the world's ever known, Rome. 100,000 Jews against all of Rome. Not very smart. In fact, I would say super dumb. That's what you do, by the way, when you turn your back on God. You just start doing a bunch of dumb stuff. Because you've left the one who alone can give you the reasoning and the truth that you're supposed to have. When you leave him, you're gonna, by, by nature, you're going to do dumb stuff. And you're going to add dumb stuff to it. You continue to forsake God and turn your back on God. And I'm telling you, you're going to continue to add to your woes and problems and pains. But it's altogether another thing for God to forsake you. And that's where they were. That's where they had gotten to. God's wrath is not a future event. Well, it is. I shouldn't say that. You've got a book of Revelation. You've got all these judgments coming. I'm not saying it isn't something that we can point out and say the wrath of God is going to be culminated at some point in the future. But I want you to know something about God's wrath. It is a constant thing. You've never been in a world 
that is not under the wrath of God. You're constantly, right now, we're under the wrath of God. The culture we live in, the society we live in, the world we live in is underneath a constant barrage, if you will, of the wrath of God. It may not be, though, in a direction or an idea of what you think wrath to be. And I want, so I want to illustrate this for you. God's wrath is a constant, not a future event. Here, watch what it says here. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This is the construct in the Greek. Again, this is, a, this is an English Bible, but it is translated out of the Greek. The Greek is much more specific. It's much more precise and detailed. The word is there, referring to the wrath of God, is, is a, something that has already begun. Now, Paul writes this 2,000 years ago, A.D. 40, more or less. It was a constant thing that was from the time of Paul, at the writing of this, we could say, and, but, why, but the word literally means it starts at a point and continues on indefinitely into the future. So, so the wrath of God is something that had started, as Paul describes it there right then, and continued on all the way, all the way through to where we are. God's wrath is a constant thing. Why? Because unrighteousness also is a constant. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. We've been looking at that, right? Why are there all these lies and all this falsehood and all this? Because we're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Well, I wasn't trying to stop the truth. Well, yeah, but you did. And that's why the wrath of God is constant, because so is the wickedness of men who try to suppress or attempt to or actually do suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So, so God's wrath against that is actually described for us here. We're looking for a lightning bolt, you know, I don't know, somebody to be struck with a plague, a tidal wave to wash away a whole city. You know, we always write that off as the wrath of God. I'm not saying it couldn't be. I'm just saying the wrath of God as described in Romans is not like that. Watch. Here's the wrath of God. It's called the wrath of abandonment. Watch what it says there. So here's the wrath, how it plays out as we turn our backs against him. Therefore, God gave them over. Because why? Because they rejected him. Because they forsook him. Hey, you can forsake God all you want. I don't recommend it. You're going to have a horrible time with it, but you don't want to get to the place where God starts forsaking you. It's going to get exponentially worse. Therefore, God gave them up, it's the wrath of abandonment, to vile impurities and lust of their heart, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Here it is. Give them up, point two. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, verse 26. And then verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to depraved mind. The, the wrath of abandonment, far more consequential, I would suggest to you, than a lightning bolt or a tidal wave or an earthquake or all these things we write off, to, to the, the insurance writes off to the wrath of God or the act of God or whatever. Far greater is the consequences of being abandoned. Turn your back on God, that's bad. God turned his back on you, super bad. So let me answer a simple, uh, a hard question that's, hard, that's not hard to answer. Why are things getting worse and worse in our culture here in the States and Canada? Because God is abandoning us. God is abandoning us. Christian, you come to grips with it. Come to grips with it. I know those television preachers are not telling you that kind of stuff. Well, part of the reason why I'm not on television. I'm just going to shoot it straight with you. The reason why we're getting worse is because God is abandoning us. He is. The wrath of abandonment is super serious, and if we need to go no further than the Jews to find out they found, how they found out the hard way. So, so AD 66, let's go back. 
Jesus is making a prediction 30 years after his, his death and resurrection. The, the effects start becoming really real. They do something really dumb because that's what you do when, when God abandons you. You just start doing dumb stuff, exponentially dumb. They revolted in this tiny little nation against the most powerful train killers the world has ever known, Roman soldiers. You don't do that, but they did. And boy, did they pay for it. Rome was sick of them by this time. They had revolted several times. But, but hear me, Jews revolted all the time. They had never done it without God, though. This time, no God with them. Your house is left to you. Do, do whatever you think is best. It's a horrible place to be. So they revolted, and Rome comes against them with five legions of trained killers. 80,000 men did nothing, that did nothing else. They're the ones that invented crucifixion. Why? Because they loved and were good at killing. 80,000 trained men, they swoop down on Israel. They kill over a million Jews in Jerusalem alone. Cart the rest off into captivity. The Jews do not return to their land officially until 1948. Two thousand years did jesus mean it when he said he was going to abandon the house oh boy the wrath of abandonment absolutely the promises of god never doubt them never doubt them of course they 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 go into captivity and then the rome rome declares the jewish person declares them not human subhuman and so they codify anti-semitism into roman law for the next 300 years horribly persecuted you can kill a jew doesn't matter it's like killing an animal doesn't matter no law against it. Absolutely laws in favor of it, in fact. And so as soon as the Roman world collapses, then guess what happens? The crusaders, the Christians, quote-unquote, start running crusades into the Middle East to take back over the promised land, which they considered to be theirs, and taken away from the Jews. In the process, they killed way more Jews than they did Muslims. They, they called the Jews the Christ killers. So every city they went through, they killed Jews wholesale. They would have contests. This is... Part of your history, our history, if you're from Europe. Contest to see how many Jewish babies you could stack on a sword. Why? Because you could eliminate them. They were hated. They were persecuted. They were pushed. They were marginalized. They were hunted down. They were blamed for all the famines and black plague of the 1300s. They were hunted by the Catholic Church through the Inquisition. Uh, Hitler, when he began rounding up Jews and putting them in concentration stamps and exterminating them, he, he, he's, in his defense, he said, I'm doing nothing more than what the church has done for the past 500 years. And guys, listen, he was correct. That was not a lie. Hitler did a lot of lying, but that was not one of them. That, yeah, that's, that's what had been happening to him. So, so even as far back as, as you go, I mean, no matter what happens, the Jews have been persecuted, they've been pushed. The only place they've had any kind of respite, any kind of place of protection has been these United States. You want to know why? Because we were set up on the principles of this. And our founding fathers and uh, mothers were believed in the Scriptures and followed the Scriptures and feared God, and thus the Jews had a place of pr uh, protection. But now that we're turning them back against the Word of God, guess what's going to happen to the Jews? Yeah, yeah, just like it's always been. And yeah, they're in their land now after 1948, but have they had it good over there? Been nothing but wars, nothing but persecution, nothing but terrorism, nothing but global, uh, the UN against them. Everybody's against them because that's the way it's always been because Jesus meant it when he said, you can have your house if that's what you want. It's a promise from God. You need no, no further than history to say, does God say what he means and mean what he says? Absolutely. 
He certainly does. This is what happens to a people who are unprotected by God. This is what happens to a people who, who because of their decisions, find themselves on the wrong side of God's promises. Not a place, I don't recommend it. Not a place you need to be. God, though, listen, wrote Israel's history in advance through his promises. And so that's why when Paul's looking down the pipe of what's coming for Israel, why he laments the way he does over here in Romans 9. Paul speaking, I'm telling the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, because he sees what's coming for them. But they're the Israelites, they had all these blessings, right, all these possible good outcomes of promises, right, whom belong the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple services, and the promises. But they came down on the wrong side of those promises. Jesus also laments over them. We read that in, in Luke, but here it is again in Luke 19. We saw, when he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had only known this day, even you, the conditions for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Because, because why? Because Jesus, of course, knew the Scripture. So did Paul. Do you? See, the, the things that happened to the Jews the past 2,000 years are no secret. They're a matter of history. But they were also a matter of pre-written history in the promises of God. I want to read them to you. You want to know what happened to the Jews the past 2,000 years? God wrote it in the book of Deuteronomy 1,000 years before Jesus ever says this. Look, look what God promises the Jews if they don't obey him. Some hard stuff. It shall come about. If you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all of his commandments, God speaking to Israel, it's a promise. To observe to do all the commandments that, that his statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. It's a promise. He's promising them. Don't do it, because I will. Here's the curses. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed you shall be in the basket and the kneading bowl. Cursed shall be your offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed you shall be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses and confusion and rebuke in all you under undertake to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have, not forsa have, because you have forsaken me. Like I said... I don't recommend forsaking God, because if it ever gets to the place where he has to forsake you, boy, oh boy, watch what happens. The Lord will make a pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you're entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever, with inflammation, with fire and heat, and with the sword, and with blight, and with bildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens which are over your head will be bronze, and the earth beneath you will be iron. And the Lord will make the, run, the rain of your land like powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way, and you shall, you shall go out one way and shall flee seven ways before them. You shall be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. How accurate that is. How accurate. Just look at the history of the Jews. You don't want to cross God. Look at the Jews. Don't do what they did. Your carcasses shall be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. And the Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt, and with tumors, and with the scab, and with itch, and with you cannot be healed. And the Lord will smite you with madness, and with blindness, and with bewilderment of heart. And you shall grope at noon, and as a blind man gropes in the darkness, you shall not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. Wow. 
And let me just say, that reads just like their past 2,000 years history. That is what happened to them. One of those, just the, the overarching details, there it is. That exactly. God wrote their history in advance through his promises. God makes, though, not just one promise to the Jews. If you'll look back there with me, Jesus does in Luke 13. He doesn't just make one promise. He actually makes, makes two. Take a look at what it says. He says, he says so, so, so your house is left to you, desolate. Behold, you will not see me again. There's an important word there. Notice it doesn't say ever. It just says until. Until you get your head on straight, right? And you acknowledge me as the king until you say, blessed is he who comes, comes to the name of the Lord. That's inc incredibly important. And when you look back precisely, uh, uh, God fulfilled his promises. We can look back and say, yes, he did precisely that. Well, exactly what he told the Jews he was going to do to them. If they didn't obey him, he did exactly that. We can also look in what Jesus says forward as to what's going to happen to them when they do. Again, he doesn't say, you'll never see me again. He says, you won't see me until. Very important word. Here's what until tells us about the Jews. They're going to stay all the way through the past 2,000 years of the Holocaust. Now we know that, right? Here we are sitting, sitting in history. The Jews are occupying their land for the first time in 2,000 years. But, but we could have known from then they were going to stay. They were not going to be totally obliterated. Wait until we get home means, among other things, we're going home, right? Until you acknowledge me. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's a promise, isn't it? So he promises them horrible wrath and, and destruction because they, they had uh, uh, turned their back on him, and so he turns his back on them. He also promises that's not going to be forever. It, it's interesting. Now, there's nothing short of, not interesting, it's nothing short of a gigantic miracle that Israel still exists. And there have been all kinds of persecutions and uh, genocides and atrocities that have been committed man against man, culture against culture, but nothing like the Jews. Nowhere even close to the things they've experienced, but they're still here. And they're not just here. The Jews have literally attended the funerals of almost all the great nations that have existed up to this point. So, so, so the pharaohs, right, in Egypt tried to kill them. Where are they today? Can you, can you show me an Egyptian? You know, ethnically, Egyptians do not exist. You go to Egypt today, you will, hear, you will talk to Egyptians, but they're, they're just Arabs. They're Saudi Arabian Arabs who went over. You go, they're all speaking Arabic. That was not the Egyptians of the Bible. The Egyptians of the Bible in the old days of the pharaohs were Africans. Where are those people? They are not here. But we still have Jews. Interesting. Where, where, are the, where are the Babylonians? Where are the Assyrians who annihilated half of the Jewish population in the northern kingdom? Where are they today? When was the last time you had a conversation with an Assyrian or a Babylonian? These were movers and shakers controlled the entire world, all economies, all armies, all peoples, and yet we don't have any more of these. Where's the Persians today? Can you show me one? Where's, where's the power of the of an Alexander the Great in the Greek. We got the Greeks over there. They're one of the lowest groups of people. Not just being, if you got a Greek, I've, you know, we love you. Glad you're here. But their country is as bad as, and if you're Mexican also, I'm sorry. But it's bad as Mexico. Economically, socially, in fact, it's worse. Where are the Greeks of the 
Bible, where are the Greeks of history, these powerful, smart, incredibly capable people? Where are they today? They don't exist anymore. Where are the Romans? When was the last time you came across a Roman? They ruled the world for 500 years. We don't have any more of those. But we still have Jews. Where's the czars of Russia? Where's the, where's the Nazis who exterminated 6 million of the Jews? Where are the, where's the Arab League who was leagued together in order to destroy Israel from 1948 up until recent years? Where are these people? Now, like I said, the Jews have attended all these funerals. Where, where, are, the, where are the Samaritans? You know the Samaritans factor into the Bible more than we think of in a New Testament culture. But actually they're Old Testament. The Samaritans were the ones who were causing the problems. Read the book of, of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. The ones that were hounding them and threatening them and trying to stop them building the temple in the city of Jerusalem. It was the Samaritans that were doing that. There was a lot of bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews. 200 years after that is when we have the time of Jesus, and Jesus has the stories, of course, dealing with the Samaritans. But the Samaritans far outnumber the Jews moved back to their city. They're just this little hovel of people, 50,000 maybe more. More than a million Samaritans up in the northern kingdom. Where are the Samaritans today? You know there actually are Samaritans. I read an article this week. 800, now there's 800 left of all the Samaritans in the world. They still live in the Middle East. They're just interesting, just trivial pursuit, I guess, right? But, but it's, it, the, the incredible thing is, is there's only 800 Samaritans. And I guess how many Jews there are? So I won't let you guess. 24 million. Actually, more, than, more like 25 million. There are more Jews on the planet today than there were under the reigns of Solomon and David combined. You read the Bible and you think, oh, this is a great regime. And it was. It was a great, a great day, hey, day for the Jews. There wasn't but about a million or two or three of them. There's 25 million Jews on the planet today, even after all these exterminations and all these pogroms and all these things and all these genocides. And so my question to anybody that thinks there isn't a God is, explain that to me. If it were not for God, how is it possible that these people exist? Far greater, far more numerous, far more powerful people have just ceased to exist. Why are the Jews still here? Because of this word that Jesus says. You're going to be under this until. There's a flip side of the promises of God, right? There's a flip side of which God's going to be blessing them, right? God's going to keep his promises. And that flip side is that when they do actually come to the place where they acknowledge their Messiah, where they say that he's the king, when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then God's going to bless them. The other side of the promise, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It's a promise. It's a promise. He's going to keep it. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and I will put my law within them, and I will write on their heart, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin I will, I will no longer remember. It's coming. It's the same as history. It's coming for them. It's coming. We haven't seen it yet, but he's writing their future in advance through his promises. So, that was my introduction. So, you ready for the whole points? <laughs> so, so, here's the big question, which you may you've already be asking. What has this got to do with the price of tea in China? Why does this matter to me? Island Baptist Church, 25th of September, 2022, across the globe from the, these people. I mean, why do I, is it so that we can win trivial pursuit about the history of Israel? No, it's because there's something in question here that matters very much to you and to me. What's at stake 
What's at stake with the promises of God and him fulfilling those promises is the faithfulness of God. Because if he's not faithful to his promises, what hope do we have? If he's not faithful to do what he said very clearly, written out, promises to Israel, tell me how you could possibly think he's going to come through for your little sinful life. Tell me. See, what's at stake is the faithfulness of God, ultimately, not that we can win at Trivial Pursuit about the history of Israel, but what is written, these things are written down so we can know who God is and how he handles sinners. So you need, that's important for us. I'm, a, I'm one of those. How does he handle and deal with sinners even in the face of the promises that he's made to us and the fact of our on forsaking him? You want to know whether God is a promise-keeping God. You really want to know that. It's like the top, you may not realize it's the top thing for you. Because when you place your faith in God and in his son Jesus for salvation, you are betting your life on that. Not just this life. All eternity. You're betting your life on something that he said? Sounds kind of dumb, doesn't it? Unless, unless he keeps his promises. And it's really smart. If, if God has made promises to Israel and then has turned around and canceled them, what hope do we have? Really. So it's not a trivial pursuit. The guys, in fact, made promises about our future. You need to just make sure you're on the right side of them. Here's one more. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That is a promise. Have you done that? I'm not asking you if you call yourself a Christian, you're a good person. Understand, this is what a Christian is, someone who has placed their faith in God's Son. Not a churchgoer, happier in church. Not a moral person. Someone who's trusted everything upon God's Son. You're risking your whole life and eternity on God's Son. What God did on you on the cross, you've asked that to be yours. I'm not asking if you're a Catholic, a Baptist, a Methodist, or, you know, that's really not the question. The question is, have you accepted God's Son? Because here's the opposite. Whoever does not, it's a promise. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them promises of God it is the future of all humanity that's the future we're all headed to there make sure you're on the right side of it I ask you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we consider what God has said to us today God we thank you that you're a promise making promise keeping God what a privilege that we have to be like you when we are faithful to what we say faithful to what we promise God, I pray that if we have found ourselves in a place where we're backing up on our promises, God, that we would change by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, it's, it's you in us. It's, it's your goodness in us that makes us good. And we need to be better every day. We need people who don't just say stuff, but actually come through, follow through. But God, we thank you that you're a God who follows through. And you've given us this time on earth to hear your promises to decide which side of those promises we're going to come down on but either way we're betting our life thank you god that we have the opportunity to be forgiven we have the opportunity to be made right with you we have the opportunity to go to heaven because of all that jesus has done 
Now, I pray that we would avail ourselves of that opportunity. Thank you, God, for hearing us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.